Okay, welcome to the Two of Pentacles or Discs, the Lord of Change or Harmonious Change. The harmonious aspect maybe comes from the fact that we've got some Jupiterian influence in here. Yep. And the fact that it's a two. Right. Pretty high up on the tree still. Yep. So yeah, this is one of my favorite cards to talk about. In every version of it I've seen, there's a really cool combination of the different forces that are at work. And there's a lot of contrasting forces at work in this card. Yeah, it's a fun card in in some ways. Not yeah. always not <laughs> always fun to get, but sometimes it is. I was thinking to sort of um, harken back to what we started talking about in the Ace of Discs with the, the story of the discs as a story of the world or universe card, kind of like what we did with all the other suit cards, tying them back to their elemental major. Um, yeah, so it would be the maiden's journey, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the search for reunion or return to the divine or with the beloved. But I think that in these Capricorn cards, we really see an emphasis on being involved in the material world. And in the Taurus cards, we're going to see more of a sort of bridge to the divine and a balance of, of male and female of opposites. And in the, um, and in the Virgo cards, that sort of deep, far quest to reunite with the light. You know, it's also the, um, the journey of the princess, you know, so mm-hmm. you can think of it as a more mundane world journey, too. You know, in, in so many of the fairy tales, the, you know, you start out trapped by circumstance in some way or another. And I think the Capricorn cards, more than any other, kind of signal the limitations of the material world. Yeah, definitely. And the limitations, and in a, in a sense, they don't feel like limitations because they're all we know. Right. There's yeah. definitely a, a sense of climbing and building and striving and, you know, sometimes the futility of that as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think like with the, the two, we have that sort of, as you say, building and climbing of the goat, the engines of industry. And then the three, there's like those, uh, the structures that you make out of it and, you know, with others. And then the four is like the, what you've accumulated in that process that, uh, you know, the treasure that you build up. And yep. each of those comes with advantages, disadvantages, vices and virtues. And it's important to remember, even though we're going to be dealing a lot with the devil card, that we don't have to accept the, uh, the body as evil, you know, Christian right. interpretation of the devil entirely, you know, as a tempter and the material world as evil. It is, it is the world we live in. The devil card, it's important to remember the concept of mirth and laughter as well. Yeah, yeah, the joy of engaging with this world around us and the world of the senses as well. Yep. He is the Lord of the Gates of Matter. We're talking about, as we, we've sort of dipped into it already, but we're talking about Capricorn. So we have three cards of Capricorn, the two, three, and four of pentacles or discs. And this one happens to be ruled by Jupiter in terms of Deccan or face rulership. And it's a really interesting combination, that Jupiter versus Saturn thing, isn't it? Yeah, they they are indeed very opposites, and yet they work together. It's kind of interesting, too, because isn't Jupiter in fallen Capricorn? It is. 
It is. And I was just, I was just telling you before we went on air how I got this card yesterday and I literally fell. But yeah, it is in fall. So it's Jupiter's exaltation is in Cancer and therefore its fall is in Capricorn. There is this sort of weakness of Jupiter, but Jupiter, even when weak, you know, it's, it's it is the king the, of the gods. It's the king of the gods. <laughs> he's the king of the gods. He's the greater benefic. And he still is aiming to expand our worlds and to to create opportunities uh, within the constraints. And I think also the idea that he's high up, you know, we're still up in number two and nothing's terribly bad when you're still up in number two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he is operating within a certain set of constraints. That's all. I mean, just to go back for a moment to the concept of change, you know, to think about the wheel of fortune and change, it is almost like a little wheel of fortune, this card. And I think because Jupiter has fallen, it doesn't always bring just perfect good ascent top of the wheel change. It's everything that changes, you know, and the wheel has a descending part and an ascending part. So there's an instability and a flux to this kind of change, not just, you know, Jupiter and Leo riding in victory at the top of the wheel. Yeah, I, you know, when we get to Crowley's card, I think he says something, though, that change is the support of stability, which is interesting yeah. in terms of, you know, Saturn being a supporting force. It's a restrictive force, but it's also a supportive force. It's the structures and the bones of something Right. Which is quite opposite of Jupiter, which is, you know, the expansive big picture view. You know, and when you think about it, when you think about what uh, is required for things to move, you require, you know, like in a piston engine, you require the fuel and you re require the container. <laughs> and in Saturn and Jupiter, yeah, you have both. And the pressure. Right. Exactly. Saturn's the, the provides the force of pressure, whereas Jupiter provides the spark. Yeah, and if you think about the other Jupiter rule for a second, you have, you know, uh, Jupiter in Gemini is the Eight of Swords or the Lord of Interference or Shortened Force. You have Jupiter in Leo, which is the Six of Wands, which is the Lord of Victory. Uh, Jupiter in Libra, which is the Four of Swords, which is Truce or um, what's the other name of it? <laughs> rest from Strife? Is it Rest from Strife? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, and then you've got uh, Jupiter. Here we are, Jupiter in Capricorn, two of discs, change or harmonious change. And Jupiter in Pisces, nine of cups, uh, the happiness. happiness card. And we really see in these cards the way the astrology plays out because, you know, Jupiter is in rulership in the happiness card, right, in Pisces. But he's in detriment in the eight of swords. He's in detriment in all the... Mercury signs. So Gemini and Virgo. So he's low down on the tree as well on the, in the eight and it just doesn't work out so well for him. Yep. But yeah. And then we see the other ones are, um, but none of them are that bad. You know, they all have none the of them are that bad lining due There's, to Jupiter's role as being such a benefic. Yeah. I think he creates opportunities and sometimes they're easier or harder to take but they're always there yeah and the other thing that's kind of interesting to think about 
in terms of like these, this contrast of Saturn and Jupiter is like you can think of the, the two cards of Saturn in a Jupiterian sign. So Saturn in Sagittarius, Saturn in Pisces, that's the eight of cups and the 10 of wands. And you can really see the heaviness sort of winning out in those cards. Yeah. A little bit more, you know, also they're lower down on the tree, but you can see that in the Eight of Cups, Jupiter gives you the impulse to move, but Saturn gives you a weight to bear with it. And then same thing in the Ten of Wands, Saturn and Sagittarius, you know, you're 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 pushing yourself towards the goal and you're carrying that anvil of Saturn on top of you right. while you're at it. <laughs> but here, the motion of Jupiter is constant. It just has a a limit of time and space to work within. We should probably talk a little bit about Capricorn because there's some interesting stuff there. So much interesting stuff going on in Capricorn. It's such a fascinating time of year. We are on one of the axes of the year. All the cardinal signs are on on a solstice or an equinox. And uh, so that takes us to, you know, Yule period for us. Yeah. So that, you know, it, it starts at the solstice and ends at the year end of the year which makes me think of uh the god janus you know yeah. janus two-faced looking forward and looking back absolutely and it, you know if you have a relationship with janus i think this is this is a really good card to embody him definitely because there's there is that above and below back and forward I, I think there's even a form of janus called janus the father janus pater the meaning is like he's the one that looks above and below rather than forward and back which i thought was kind of cool especially when you think about capricorn the sign mm-hmm. on the astrological wheel it's at the zenith it's at the very top right of the chart if you start at aries and go around it's at the it's at the uh, midheaven Mm-hmm, but that's true. Yet it's also the nadir of the sun in in the northern hemisphere. It's where the sun's right. at its lowest point. It's kind of interesting place because it's both the top and the bottom simultaneously. You know, and in, of course, in the southern hemisphere, we're talking about the summer solstice. So where the light is just at its maximum and about to decrease. Whereas here we're talking about the winter solstice where the light is at its minimum and about to increase. Yeah, either way, there's a theme of light and dark, you know, opposites yeah. and, and turning points. It's super interesting. Whether you think of the sun at its northernmost point, the important thing is that it's turning, you know, from one direction to the other. Yep, which is so appropriate for this card. Exactly. What's on the other side? Um, so, so it would be the, the two, of, answer, two um, of cups. The Capricorn axis is... Yep, so two of cups. Yeah, which is something we also talk about as, um, you know, uh, as, as a turning point from the Ten of Swords to the Two of Cups sometimes yep. in a different way. Then we've got the sign of Capricorn itself. The star lore of the constellation is really interesting for this card, especially because it involves the devil, Pan, and, uh, Jupiter. Basically, the sign Capricorn, it's a goat fish. You know, he's, yes, he's, goat, the goat, he's fish. goat on top and he's got a fish tail <laughs> on the bottom. Another interesting thing is it, I, I read somewhere that in Indian star lore, instead of a goat fish, he was a crocodile, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, that is kind of neat. Well, I like the idea of the goat fish because, you know, the bottom is submerged in darkness and, and the goat top is climbing ever higher towards the light, right? <laughs> yep. 
So the story of how that goatfish became a constellation, so Pan was taken by surprise by Typhon, who's a serpent, which is appropriate for this card. So Pan gets taken by surprise by Typhon on a rampage. Because he's caught unawares, he gets in a panic and jumps into a river and only transforms halfway. So his (laughs) top half is a goat and his bottom half is a fish. And so he's emerges from the sea to see that Jupiter has also been taken unawares by Typhon. And Typhon cuts the muscles in the legs of Jupiter and paralyzes him. Oh, so wow. he sees that Jupiter's been wounded and can't move because the muscles have been like pulled out of his legs. Pan takes out his pipes and he blows a loud, shrill note on it to scare Typhon away. And, and Typhon runs away and Mercury hears the note and comes down to see what's going on and uh, sees what's happened to Jupiter. And together, Pan and Mercury put the muscles back in Jupiter's legs and... As a reward, Jupiter puts Pan as the constellation Capricorn, the goatfish, into the sky. That's a fantastic myth. There is so much going on in there. And, Isn't you know, the- it? and for this card, too, it's got yeah. the serpent, it's got Jupiter, you know, it's got Pan. I was like, this is great. Yeah, that, that myth really seems to be almost referenced in just the, you know, in the Rider-Waite-Smith, you've got the dancing figure with the knees bent and... Capricorn always has that story of what's going on from the knees down, right? Yeah, and Capricorn, yeah, rules the uh, the knees. So, and of course, it's interesting that you know Jupiter got kind of hamstringed by Typhon. Exactly, and Jupiter, of course, rules the feet as through Pisces. But I also like that story of the interaction between Jupiter and Mercury because you know Jupiter has this big picture thing going on, and that's why he's sort of the opposite of Mercury, who is in charge of the small details. But you need Mercury to do the surgery on your hamstrings right, Mercury, <laughs> to save Mercury's you. Curiosity, you know, he's like, "Oh, what's that sound? I'm going to go check it out." Right. Without that, you know, who could have saved the day? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's uh, a really cool story, it took, it, and it took. Both both of them to put Jupiter back together, apparently. Right. <laughs> I love the idea of panicking and turning yourself half into a fish. <laughs> right. I know. That's I hilarious. thought it was a great funny story. It is. The other thing that I think of with this season is that at least here in the northern hemisphere, you know, the Yule season is a is a season of mirth, and that I also associate with the Lord of the Gates of Matter. No. Yeah, it's mirth and yet it's also kind of stressful. So it's it's got the ups and downs there. Yeah, oh, it's speaking mm-hmm. speaking of ups and downs. One thing I forgot to mention about the the constellation. So the beta star in the Capricorn constellation is called Deneb El Jedi. Yeah, El mm-hmm. Jedi, and it's the tail of the goat. Mm-hmm. And Ptolemy says it's of Saturn and Jupiter. So oh, how appropriate! And some of the meanings for that. For that star are sorrow and happiness, gain and loss, <laughs> benefits and destruction, wisdom and integrity, and legal advisors and counselors. That is incredibly appropriate for the meanings of this card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gain so and too. loss in particular. Yeah, sorrow and happiness, gain and loss, all those ups and downs are, are in that tale of the goat star. And this is the time of year, you know, also when 
there's such generosity, so much giving, and yet it's followed immediately by the resolutions <laughs> of New yeah, Year. And there's a lot yeah. of materialism there, you know, too. Mm-hmm. This idea that you have to buy things. And the hangover, literally, that can result from that. There's There's a frenetic pace to it. When I used to live in the city, you would feel it much more so than, you know, we do here where we can kind of choose to go out in the world and do our shopping or whatever it is. But, you know, living in a place with a lot of people, you immediately sense the frenetic, frantic energy and the, Mm -hmm. and the sort of sense of change accelerating at this almost unbearable pace at that time of year. Capricorn, Mm -hmm. Capricorn's motto, we should mention, which is, um, I use, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because, you know, On the one hand, you can take that as being materialism, you know, in the more positive sense. It's, you know, using what's there to build things of value. Right. And, you know, when you think about the wheel of fortune and the devil together, I can't help thinking of the devil's prowess at games, right? Mm. You know, like, it's sort of like a casino image, (laughs) you know, the, the roulette wheel or the wheel of fortune and the master of strategy behind it all. To me, there's kind of a contrast of luck against skill or luck working with skill, you know, with those two cards together. If you're trusting too much to luck and your skill falters, (laughs) you can have a terrible fall. Right. And it also doesn't matter how much skill you have. If luck is against you, luck's just against you. Exactly. It's also, um, just to return to this, the season that we have here, the season of the wild hunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was said that Odin was leading a host of specters through the darkness. And Odin's such an interesting figure because he kind of combines, you know, all of those figures you referenced in the myth. He's a bit of a Jupiter figure. He's definitely a bit of a Mercury figure. And he has some Saturnine elements as well, (laughs) you know, because all Norse gods are, you know, kind of badass mean gods. (laughs) And, And it makes me think of, you know, the way that he was the keeper of secrets and magic and how that is kind of implied by these two cards, the uh, the ability to work with chance to create favorable outcomes. There's another god that's associated with Capricorn that really seems to be appropriate to this card too, and that's uh, Sumerian god Ea. He was a goatfish. He was also associated with snakes and serpents. Um, he, his name was He of Great Intellect, Lord of the Sacred Eye, which makes you think of the devil. Mm-hmm, this, sure and does. He was this, in the Sumerian mythology, he was the savior of man. So you're going to see definite biblical theme here because his brother d- decided to destroy the earth with a flood and he saved man <laughs> by getting them to build an ark. You know, that's where they got it. That's where they got it. So anyway, Ea, this goatfish god, is kind of um, interesting in terms of this card. I don't know, just the way you see the, the, the churning waters in the Rider Waite version and the snake in the Thoth version mm-hmm. made me think of him. And the, the fact that his name is Lord of the Sacred Eye made me think of the devil because his Hebrew letter means eye. Yeah, there's definitely some eye-hand coordination going on in this, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I associated with eye in with the devil and then Kaf, the receiving hand, um, uh, 
associated with the wheel of fortune kind of reminds me of what you're doing when you're, you know, operating juggling. one of those uh, juggling, absolutely, or the, um, oh, what do you call those uh, one-armed bandits at the casino? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another god, um, just good to go back to the Norse mythology for a second. The, there's another redemption narrative, Baldur, who is a solar god, right? And who returns at that time, having been sacrificed or killed by an arrow, which was tipped with a sharpened sprig of mistletoe. So the idea with Baldur was that he was protected by his mother's love. His mother went around to all the plants and all the animals and made them swear they would never harm Baldur. So he was invincible, but she overlooked the lowly mistletoe. Never so, a good idea to overlook anyone. No, exactly. So that's how Baldur was ultimately killed. Baldur, the, the shining god, he was killed by an arrow that was tipped by mistletoe. I believe it was probably Loki who was responsible. He always is. So, <laughs> so when we, you know, kiss underneath the mistletoe at this season, it's kind of like a, an, an act of reconciliation, like inviting life to return from death, you know, inviting Baldur to return and for light to increase again. So Kabbalistically, it's, it is interesting. It's Chokmah in Asiya. So Chokmah, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday and sort of the nature of the twos. I pulled out the Sefer Yetzira. This is, I'm going to just read a little passage from it. You know how, how abstract it is, but uh, 10 Sefirot of nothingness, their measure is 10 which have no end. A depth of beginning, a depth of end, a depth of good, a depth of evil, a depth of above, a depth of below, a depth of east, a depth of west, a depth of north, a depth of south. The singular master, God, faithful king, dominates over them all from his holy dwelling until eternities, yada, yada, yada. So, but what's really interesting is that after that, uh, you know, later Kabbalists kind of said, okay, well, we've got these five different pairs in here. Each of those belongs to a different sephira. So, uh, the way that they kind of conceptualized it was that Chokmah was the beginning and Bina was the end. Uh, with Keter being good and Malkut being evil. So, they, you know, they sort of distributed them that way. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting when you think of Chokmah as a, as a beginning, because we often say that twos are the real beginning of the suit, because aces are just, in a sense, a source. Yeah, and they're so ineffable that you can't really put your finger on them. So, you know, I think of twos as indicating the presence and the awareness of the other. So it takes two to make something happen. <laughs> and if you think about, I was thinking about like, how can you conceive of the other in the different twos? I was thinking that like, maybe in, in the two of wands, you're talking about, you know, subject and ruler or subject mm -hmm. and object. In the two of cups, of course, you're talking about partners or lovers, relationships like that. And in the two of swords, I, I kind of think of that as a student teacher kind of, you know, initiate and initiator kind of mm -hmm. relationship. And then maybe the two of discs could be, you know, creator or consumer, buyer and seller, you know, giver and receiver. But it takes that kind of partnership in the material world to make things happen, to make things move. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking about, you know, with this, what does it really mean to be aware of the other uh, in the material world, Chakma in Asiya, to recognize that we all have to live and work together and that there is a transactional quality to that that's not all bad. Yeah, giving and receiving. And there's something about it being the, the first force in Earth, the, fr- the first manifestation in the Earth suit. You know, we talked a little bit in the Ace about this being the suit of incarnation. So this is really where it starts to happen, where you're actually on solid. You're in your body. Yeah. Grand. Yeah, in your body. So I'm thinking about Hokma and its association with Yod mm-hmm. as the first letter of the divine name and with the knights, knight of discs. Knight or king of and, but, discs. But yep. yet the mm-hmm. Capricorn card is mostly the queen of discs. So you've got that kind of interplay between the knight of discs and the queen of discs. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was thinking about is one of the meanings for the, you know, the tetragrammaton name, Yod-Heh-Vau-Heh, is Mm -hmm. to be, which I thought was really interesting in terms of this card being the first where you step into the body. That makes sense. Yeah, this, this is sort of like, you know, plane of material existence, incarnation, Austin Kopic talks about it as the descent of the body, um, the headless one into the earth. Oh um, yeah, didn't he? Didn't he call it the headless body or something? Yes, he does. And, in and fact, I, yeah. I, I, you know what immediately popped into my mind and and is the meat suit. <laughs> yes, yes, it is the meat suit. <laughs> you ever hear that term, the meat yeah, suit? I have, I have, this mostly from people who's, suit. yeah, yeah, the Did uncooperative meat suit. Short- did you ever read that short story by Terry Bisson? They're made out of meat. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> oh God, it's hilarious. That so Terry Bisson, B I S S O N, and it's called "They're Made Out of Meat," and it's a story about these alien beings that are—I guess they're like light beings. They don't have bodies, and they're just incredulous that <laughs> that meat can be sentient. <laughs> it's really hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh my God! They're like what talking meat? Thinking meat? Yes, they flap their meat and they talk. Well, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that, just to return to the idea of twos for a minute, if you look at all the twos in Rider Waite, they're all stage cards, basically. The two of wands is kind of a a more of a castle overlook than a stage, but they're all, they all have that separation of the foreground. And, you know, and that really speaks to, why when we have a stage it's because somebody's looking you know so right. it's like a role that one has to play and i An think audience. that that's yeah. yeah i think that that's a real quality of twos that um that you think about your relationship and the role that you have to play uh separate from your own impulses and will yeah yeah that makes sense especially in terms of the kabbalah of the two being the one becoming aware of itself, like it's almost like it becomes its own audience. Exactly. That kind of makes a good segue, the uh, the headless one that we were talking about, to the, to the Deccan's imagery, I think, because the Deccan's imagery is really, really interesting. One of the reasons Austin calls this Deccan of Capricorn the headless body is because in uh, Liber Hermetis, they have uh, for this Deccan the image of a decapitated man holding his head in his right hand. 
<laughs> you know, that's kind of interesting, just thinking of the right hand as being the the side of force. But also, further Deccan imagery is sort of all over the place in ways that are nonetheless really apt for this card. For example, the uh, Agrippa has a woman and a man carrying full bags. So that's that theme of gain and loss that you mentioned, uh, to go forth and to rejoice, to gain and to lose with weakness and baseness. So mm. again, those themes of sort of being up and down on the wheel. And then in the Picatrix, we have a man with a reed in his right hand and a hoopo bird in his left. So this is, I'm tagging you because I didn't look up hoopo and I know you did. <laughs> I did look up hoopo because I didn't know what a hoopo was. Um, it's it's a bird with a sort of crest on its head, mm-hmm. like a sort of like a kingfisher. Yeah, bird, the point pointy head. Really interesting is some of the um, old Egyptian kingdom iconography that had to do with the hoopo bird. Was one meaning of it was the child was the heir and successor of his father. Another one uh, in 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 Persian times it was associated with virtue and purity, but also with thieves, death, and evil. Uh, there was another story that the hoopoe bird somehow saved Moses from being crushed by the giant og after crossing the Red Sea. And hmm. then there was something interesting, too. The hoopoe bird is part of this story in Ovid's Metamorphosis where um, this king's son is gets decapitated by the wife, you know, some jealous story and she decapitates the sun and he turns into a hoopoe bird to avenge things or whatever, which made me think of the headless one again. And the other interesting thing about the hoopoe bird, which is kind of weird. So it's associated a lot of the times with purity, but yet it has this defensive property where it exudes some kind of really stinky foul substance from its (laughs) glands to to scare things away. So it's both pure and and dirty and nasty at the same time. That's really interesting, right? Because, you know, this is sort of like the reaction to being incarnated. It's like, what's this gross meat suit I'm wearing? (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. It's a temple. No, it's a gross meat suit. (laughs) It's both at once. (laughs) So so he's got the the hoopoe bird in the left hand and then the reed in the right hand and reeds we just started looking this up before air and that's really interesting um symbol dictionary has them as symbols of what is fragile as well as what is flexible which is super appropriate for the lord of change yeah and for the life force itself it's both fragile and flexible something oh oh, yeah read in india as an image of the world axis right and what you know what change has to turn on an axis in some way right the read as a voice. Yeah, it reminds me of um, that myth that you reference right at the beginning where Pan calls for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reeds and rushes are actually pretty similar. I'm just sort of looking at reed lights and rush lights. And of course, the rush light was famous for burning, you know, people used to use them as a very quickly burning and very bright light, which makes me think of, you know, the increase of the light at this very dark time of year and how quickly it it uh, burns out. This says the years in the Aztec calendar were under four signs, one of which was the reed, which was associated with the east, the land of rebirth. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and this idea of the soul crying out for God really just seems like 
to foreshadow this whole story that we have of, you know, the soul's return to the divine in the world or universe card, the maiden's journey. So, yeah, in terms of the historical and cardomantic references, so, so Atea, he had a lot of fairly negative meanings for this card. Embarrassment, obstacle, engagement, obstruction, hang up, hitch, concern, embroilment, confusion, uh, agitation. And so these are some of the difficult aspects of change, I guess you could say. Yeah, the, maybe that's part of the influence of Saturn. At, well, it's Capricorn, but Saturn, you know. Yeah. And then he brings in in the reversal something that we're going to see a lot more of, I think, because um, Wade also brings it in, this idea of communication, uh, letters, handwriting, uh, the idea of communicating across a distance. And so that also, to me, sort of speaks of the soul reaching out for the divine. But also, just in real life, I, I've seen that happen a lot with this card. Uh, it is a card of, you know, even gift exchange is a form of communication in that way. In terms and Jupiter of, being mm -hmm. associated with foreign lands from a distance. Absolutely. There is a way of like trying to bridge distances and reach as far as you can, but recognizing the constraints. So your body can't go there, right? Because of Saturn's influence and the limits on physical ability to travel, but something can. You can still get the message through, whether it's through letter or through phone call or, or some other means, you know, email nowadays or instant message or <laughs> whatever, WhatsApp. Uh, the Two of Diamonds itself has been considered a pretty fortunate card. Uh, it definitely has to do with money, no matter what. It can have to do with starting businesses and getting involved in transactional kind of things. According to Jonathan D. and his fortune telling using playing cards, he associates the, the two of diamonds with finances, investments, and windfalls. Uh, the amount is unlikely to be overly large, but it will be welcome. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that's, again, that sort of beneficent, but slightly weak Jupiter and Capricorn effect. Yeah, it seems like an appropriate card for starting a business because there are ups and downs associated with that. Yeah, and it's... And Small it calls... gains, and, but yet there's always obstacles to overcome in, at the beginning of such things. Right, and you need the sort of like unfussiness and and shrewdness and agility of the goat to get through them, right? You just face mm -hmm. the thing and you get over it. It's a real great problem-solving card, not being afraid to face the obstacles. Shall we start the card by card? Yep. Okay. So, uh, so here we have the two of pentacles. It, it is, as we mentioned, a stage card. And man, it's a funny one. <laughs> Uh, I gotta get this out of the way. What's up with that hat? <laughs> Is it a phallic symbol? I know. I, you know, I totally think it's a phallic symbol at some, at some level. You know, we've been talking about heads and headlessness. There is an obsession right. with it. But you know what's so weird? I've kind of looked for it all over the place, you know, and nobody mentions nobody what mentions the deal that? is. I know. It's ridiculous. I mean, it totally looks like a phallus with maybe a condom on it. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> you know, 
but it also reminds me a little bit of, you know, you mentioned that the hoopoe bird has a crest on its head. So maybe, you know, there's ah, a little yes. bit of that going on. But um, the other thing that's just really funny is that when I was uh, pregnant with Noah, just at the beginning, I didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. So I drew a card and <laughs> I got this one. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Obvious. Obvious. So it seems like there's got to be some explanation for this hat other than it's just like a fanciful comic clown hat. So if any of you out there have run across notes from Wait or Pamela Coleman-Smith, you know, anything, we'd love to hear about it because it's, it's wicked weird. <laughs> <laughs> but there is something that's really cool that I do know about the um, origins and inspiration for this card. So, and this came up in the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Marcus and Tali's book, The uh, Secrets of the Waitsmith Tarot. So apparently they associate this with a, book of Sir Edward Byrne Jones, the illustrator, and which Pixie would have been familiar with. It was called The Flower Book. And what she did was she sort of illustrated a kind of beautiful little allegory for each of several flowers. And they're little beautiful little medallions. I think I might have mentioned it in one of the previous episodes. I can't remember. And each of them has a little scene on it. And this medallion is associated with something called false mercury, a plant called false mercury, or dog's mercury. It's uh, mercurialis perennis. And the picture is extremely similar in a way to the illustration on the card. The picture shows the god mercury, and in his hand, he has, he's supposed to be sharing visions of home to mariners at sea. So he's, he's got in each hand sort of a globe, kind of like the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, showing the vision of home <laughs> in the in the globe. He's got these visions of home, one in each hand, and then he's standing over a boat with sleeping sailors. And he looks a great deal like the figure in the card, as well as, you know, there being that sort of marine boat thing going on which happens in the Rider-Waite-Smith. So, and he's kind of holding them in the same position. So, you know, if you think of this guy as, as a mercurial figure, which makes some sense for a juggler, maybe the hat is sort of a veiled reference to the, you know, winged helmet of Mercury. But also the fact that Hermes himself was considered a very, very phallic god, you know, the, um, mm -hmm. yeah. the herms that were yes, travel exactly. markers, right, are basically phalluses, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so I kind of like to think of this guy as having a herm on his head. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and, you know, Mercury isn't that far-fetched of an association with this card just because, you know, it's a two, it's above the abyss, and so is the magus. You know, basically, right. you've got the magus and the fool up there. Plus, you have this figure eight, which is a number of Mercury, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's an infinity sign, but it's also a number of Mercury. And we see it on the magician as well for that reason, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah and this figure does seem like a cross between the fool and the magus in a way. Yeah. And uh, so, so Mathers would talk about this card as uh, being a card of communication. And he says that the figure eight or the infinity sign represents 
the one as being the reflection of the other, same sort of yin-yang symbolism we're going to see in the Thoth card, uh, as the universe is that of the divine idea. I think that's an as above, so below reference, the divine idea being the above and the universe itself being the below. So kind of a mirroring thing going on. And he correlates that with the idea of communication itself, the idea that you have to have a receiving mind to correspond to the communicating mind. So there's also that idea of the figure eight on its side as the the analemna yeah. eternity bringing in Saturn and time and the fact that these cyclical changes just go on and on and there's no beginning or end. Yeah, that's really good. So the analemma being the soul, the path of the sun uh, mm -hmm. traveling in its course. The figure eight, yes. Right, but you don't see it unless you add the ingredient of time, which is Saturnine. Yep. Now, one thing that is I thought was interesting is Waite says something about that. He calls it the endless chord, which is like the number eight reversed. And what I want to know is how do you reverse the number yeah. eight? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good point. Why would he say that? Exactly. <laughs> right. That I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Uh, the endless chord. Which, oh, you know, maybe he means because it's kind of sideways rather than upright. Yeah, I guess. I just thought it was odd. It's an odd way to put it. Are you surprised? <laughs> no. <laughs> And the funny thing also is that if you look at the pentacles, the stars on them are completely upright, you know, spirit over matter, up and down, even though they should technically be kind of spinning in all directions because it's... Um, or there should you know, be juggling. one upright and one the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a reference to the supportive effect of Jupiter. I don't know, you know, being held in the hand, uh, the literal hand of Kaf, the Wheel of Fortune you know, allows mm -hmm. you to remain upright. And again, that idea, like you were talking about, uh, the idea of the equilibrium that comes from motion, that motion itself creates stability, which is something we talked about in the Four of Swords as well. Yep. And then there's also the idea, those waves in the back and the ships upon them. Yeah, they yeah. definitely suggest turbulence and instability and and something that's constantly changing you know association valleys, you know <laughs> absolutely the association of um jupiter with travel as well mm -hmm. and what we've been talking about that communication across distance and gifts and travel you know i think that when we when we bear a gift you know it comes from somewhere it has to go somewhere when you think about the role of these sort of merchant ships in the past, they were, mm. you know, the vehicles of commerce. They were, you know, it wasn't cargo trucks and container ships and, you know, and jets, mail jets. It was these ships, yep. you know, carrying things across the ocean. Carrying goods. Right. And then finally, you know, this idea of dancing. I mean, if you look at him and he's got the one foot, off the ground. That to me is a reference to the fundamental alternations in this card. You know, it's an on off switch. There's, you can only have one thing happening at once, but in order to maintain balance, you constantly have to switch. Yeah. There's kind of something of the adjustment card in a way. Yeah. You know? I agree. Yeah. Right. And it's sort of like the shifting of the weight from foot to foot is what allows you to walk or to go. I don't know. To me, there's a little bit of an analogy to the ideas of to keep silent and to go there because, mm. right? Because you have to have one foot that's non-active, that's not doing anything 
right? The silent foot. <laughs> yeah, the active and the passive foot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in order to be able to go. Mm, interesting. And the fact that that lemniscate is green is kind of interesting to me because we're going to see when we talk about the Thoth card references to that that green line. Yeah, exactly. And it, this guy is kind of all dressed in red and green, which is not necessarily colors of Jupiter at all, but they are kind of opposites, right? Mm -hmm. So And very and, Christmassy. And very Christmassy. <laughs> There's that. How many buttons has he got? Oh, boy. Good I question. didn't think to count buttons. <laughs> well, some of them are hidden by the lemniscate, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. If it matters or not. Or I ten. would reckon he's got eight. Um, and then he's got some stuff going on with his collar. But I would reckon it's eight, which is also appropriate. And then the final thing that maybe we could read into this with the hat and the and the pentacles is, you know, maybe that's a reference to the supernals. Yeah, I could see that. You know? Yeah. And with the, uh, the two, if you're uh, in the tree, you know, you could think of the two being held up. High mm -hmm. and with the, uh, with the phallic hat pointing to the source of all things. <laughs> <laughs> the crown. When I read for people with this deck, the, either the first thing they notice is the ships because they're going on a journey. This happens all the time. Or they notice the goddamn hat. <laughs> yeah. And they ask for, a, for an explanation of that. All right. So shall we, um, move on to thought, the very different thoughts? Yep. It's like we took the lemniscate and we focused on that mainly. Yeah. yeah. It's a really, I love this card and I can understand why, you know, it's on the box for a lot of Thoth decks. Yeah, it's a cool card. You know, it doesn't have as much frontal nudity as some of the others. So I guess that's why. Yeah. <laughs> the sexuality is only so implied. So instead of, instead of the phallic symbol <laughs> being the hat, we have a snake. Exactly. You know, what's really interesting, though, about that figure eight figure is it comes directly from the Golden Dawn description. So mm -hmm. both Waite and Crowley were riffing off of that, I think. Yeah. Do you have the Which description Which actually, there? It was, it's in the Marseille version of the card, too. That but is the, true. Um, the Golden Dawn description, I don't have it in front of me. I could get it. But basically, it's t it talks about it having an Ouroboros figure eight serpent no roses and that it's a revolving symbol that is the sort of uh unifying principle with this card in marseille that there's always this this figure eight shape or s shape on the card which is often used as the manufacturer's mark so talked about the ace of discs being the maker's mark i'm accustomed to seeing the the two bearing sort of a, sometimes it's in the shape of a ribbon and it shows the mark of the printer or the person who was actually making the cards. Uh, in terms of Marseille, it could be the ace, it could be the two, it could be also the uh, ace of swords can sometimes have the mark on it, but probably most often the ace and two of coins. Crowley actually talks about his discs as pantacles. <laughs> So we talked about pantacles in the last episode as being kind of a word for a talisman. What they really are is, of course, yin-yang symbols. And in each one, we've got uh, an elemental dot. We've got the triangles yeah. of fire and water in the top one and air and earth in the bottom one. Right. So the, the two yin-yangs, one is said to be dextro and one's levo rotary. So they're each turning in different directions. 
Yeah, and that's really, really interesting. So, you know, dextro and levo rotatory, you know, those are terms that are normally used in only two contexts. Uh, one of them is like when you use the terms dextro and levo, that's a reference to chirality. Chirality is um, the rotation of polarized light. You know, when light passes through a polarization lens, it will either turn to the right or to the left. And dextro, of course, is the right and levo is the left. And then you also see that in uh, in terms of sugar molecules, you know, they're mirror image molecules, one dextro, one levo. But I thought the light one was really cool because it reminds me of the way the light is either increasing or decreasing in the, you know, in the northern or, hu- or southern hemisphere. This And you'll notice card. in this card, the upper one, the fire and water one, is in a white circle, whereas the lower one's in a black circle. So it's yeah. light and darkness. Theme. Absolutely. And the fact that you have fire and water on top and air and earth below is kind of a reference to the four worlds, you know, on the tree, which descend fire, water, air, earth like that. Uh, and he also says that one may, in fact, consider the card as the picture of the complete manifested universe in respect of its dynamics. And he, in fact, does have that Dextro and Levo rotatory uh, symbolism in the universe card, I think. And I know you do. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it's I think those elemental symbols and are related to that because he calls them the interplay of the four elements in constant movement and that's kind of what the manifest universe is right to go the movement to go right yep. all the elements moving and and interacting mm-hmm. never stopping well he's he's one of the ones who talks about change being the support of stability should the motion of the serpent ever cease we would all cease to exist <laughs> but uh, but he also says the celestial rulers are jupiter and capricornus and these symbols are most inharmonious there he's just talking about jupiter being in fall i guess or that just the difference between jupiter and and saturn the way they're polar opposites he says that in practical matters the good fortune of jupiter is very limited and i guess you can say that in the sense that when you re- give or receive a gift, it's it's a short thing, right? It's just mm-hmm. something to mark an occasion. Doesn't necessarily change your life. He but talks on the a other bit hand, about the Earth, this card having to do with the princesses, which makes sense. I think he's m- referring to the material and the spiritual in that connection, which reminds me of something um, Snuffin said that I liked about this card. He called it spiritual devotion versus gross materialism so again you have the spiritual devotion of jupiter and hokma versus the the more material striving of capricorn there is the relationship between the two and the ten generally you know it is the princess going to awaken the eld and that's what causes you know the change ultimately mm-hmm. right yep. so the the all father is in the two and the princess is in the ten by reawakening the old king, she creates the cycle anew. And then you mentioned the green serpent. You know, my copy of this card doesn't look real green. It's not. It's more of a gray green. Maybe and, it's better you in know, the German a lot of these edition. Cards, the watercolors have faded, so we don't really know what color it originally was. We do know that Crowley himself conceived of it as being green, since that's what he says. And then that sort of seems to have an interesting connection to the Waite Smith green. Lemniscate. So in the Book of Thoth, there's that footnote where he mentions uh, Liber 65, which is the um, heart girt with the serpent book. 
So he mentioned, he just plops it in a little footnote there. And if you go and look up the heart girt with the serpent in that chapter three, which is the, the water chapter, each there's five chapters, each of which is associated with an element. Chapter three is the water chapter. And those lines 17 through 20 that he references talk about the infinite circle of emerald that encloses the universe with no time past and no time to come. And he talks about the green line that wraps around the universe. That's a reference, Mm. that green line that wraps around the universe. That's seen in lots of ancient writings. It's seen in Babylonian writings. It's seen in the Talmud. There's a reference to chaos as being a green line that surrounds the universe out of which the darkness issues. It's something that surrounds the void and in- encapsulates the universe. That's cool. In fact, this is a lot like the Midgard serpent, you know, who is yeah, supposed to enclose the world. The, uh, yeah. yeah. Also, also, it's a mythology around that green line that is like, it's kind of like it's outside of time. Time is contained within it, but it's like on the outer border where chaos is. Yeah, yeah. And green is a color of life as well. I mean, and when you think about the infinite number of interactions within chaos and matter that must have happened for life to arise. You know, it seems like that green line could be the source of the mystery. And then if you think about green just as a Venusian thing, not Mm -hmm. that there's much Venus in this card, but the interplay between love and will again, because the serpent can be associated with will and, you know, the, the color green with Venus as love. So I'm looking at the the German edition of the Thoth, the remastered one, and it is definitely a much light kind of light gray green that you can really see on here. It's the printing that we're all familiar with from U.S. games or whatever is uh, tends to be a lot more on the warm spectrum and with a very high black point. You yeah. know, and that green gray color, that's a color of... Um Virgo, so the hermit, yeah, which makes me think of Yod and its association with Hakma. So there's the crown on top. That's a Keter reference, clearly. Yeah, and it's got seven points, so that would be another love Venus thing. The spots on the snake all have eight sides, which is a Mercury thing. That's really cool. So apparently Lady Frida had some trouble with the colors in this card, or at least yeah, some back and forth. Yeah, I the elemental colors offering some inharmonious you know, placements because they didn't jibe with all the Jupiter and Saturn colors in there. Yeah. 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 She says several colors, which, yeah, don't belong to Jupiter. And she wanted to know if the serpent's eye should be red, which I guess she ultimately decided it should be. But mostly what we see in the background there are those, those intense purple and blue colors of Jupiter. Purple and violet, and then there's some really dark colors in there, which are probably coming from the indigo black Saturn Capricorn colors. And I don't know, that gray green, it it could just be that one of the Capricorn colors is cold dark gray, and a cool gray can be a green gray, so it Yeah. It, it I can may see just that be one of the Saturn colors, you know? Well, you know, when I look at it, it's sort of like where I don't see green, it's sort of like if you imagine, you know, intense light and shadow affecting the interplay of color, you can really imagine how it could be either you know, manifest as green or gray. Put something that's got a strong color in the light, it will suddenly sort of polarize to its bleached out light and saturated dark color. Yeah. 
Yeah, it almost does look like cells dividing or something, too. Oh, yeah. The way those yin-yangs look like nucleuses. Yeah, this could be meiosis or mitosis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really neat. So in a way, you can really think of this card as an analog for the beginning of life itself or incarnation. Yeah, the first manifestations of the matter plane, the life force plane. All right. Shall we move on to your card? Yeah, so there's a lot going on in this card, really more than meets the eye at the first glance. But one thing I think was really cool about this particular card are the colors. We've talked about how there's all the Jupiter colors, so there's the violets and blues and purples and a bright blue rage yellow, um, all of mm-hmm. which you can see clearly in the, in the card. And then there's the indigos, blue blacks, cold dark gray, nearing black of Saturn, all of which you also see in the card. But the color of the two of discs itself, the color of Hokma of Asea, is white, flecked, red, yellow, and blue. And I found that really interesting as a concept because so red, yellow, and blue are the three elements, right? Mm-hmm. They're what the fourth element, Earth, comes out of, and white being associated with the supernals and Keter and creation, it kind of says to me that this card has a lot to do with creation, spirit and matter, you know, that here we have all the elements now present in their first manifestation on the earth plane, you know, right? the way white light divides up into colors and then we get the three primary colors for the three elements that create the fourth element that Mm -hmm. here is first manifest i thought that was a really neat connection between the color and the meaning of the card and you can really see that in the sand in your hourglass yeah that's where it is those uh the sand the white sand has tons of tiny little minute dots of red (laughs) yellow and blue forming up the the grains of sand. So that was you just like putting little endless points in there. (laughs) With a tiny paintbrush, putting all those colored dots in there. And the hourglass, of course, is such a generally appropriate symbol for this card because of the association with Saturn and time. Yeah, it comes directly from the devil card. Um, I see it, yeah. Mm -hmm. The uh, hourglass is in the devil card. So Saturn and Capricorn, the, you know, time and the idea of change occurring through time and also just the shape of it it mm-hmm. echoes that lemniscate figure eight in itself it also has the expansion and restriction aspects because of the way the the waste of it narrows and mm-hmm. restricts the flow of sand through one grain at a time whereas in the other two ends it's it's unrestricted and open and expansive and the fact that like you know the jupiter qualities of it it must always stay in motion it can never stop falling even though it's constricted right in the middle it's it's always going to continue yep and it also brings in that emptiness and fullness theme because one half is going to be empty when the other half is full. Right. So in the devil hourglass, you don't see them. But then in the in this card, you see the wheels of Jupiter in the actual hourglass as if the sand is forcing them to turn. Yeah. So the those little wheels, there's one in each half of the hourglass churning the sand and uh, making sure it stays in motion. And it's got the... um. You can't see it fully, but it's got that lemniscate band connecting Mm -hmm. the two wheels and 
turning them in their opposite directions, just like the uh, dextro levo we were talking about. Right, it's so almost like... The biscuit is kind of, the upper half of it's buried in the sand, but it's there if you look. It's like you took the weft string from your fortune card and <laughs> wrapped it around <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. And it, and those are little mini wheel of fortunes uh, turning yeah, in there. So these, yeah, uh, these, they became the pulley that's uh, driving the... Uh, Force the sand through the hourglass. Ah, that's wicked cool. What about the um, the I Ching symbols there? So we've got the first and last I Ching symbols, which, again, bringing into those idea of opposites, of beginnings and endings. Mm-hmm. And the meaning of them seemed also entirely appropriate. So the first one, I don't know if I'll pronounce it right, but... So it's uh, Q- 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 Q-I-A-N? Yes. That's Qian, actually. It's a Qian. Q is Ch- okay, so, Qian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Qian, the first one, meaning force or the creative or God, which seems very appropriate for Hokma and the idea of, you know, beginnings and creations. And it also has meanings of success through time and mm-hmm. uh, wisdom and wise, wise use of time. So it's all yang. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. All those, all those unbroken lines, um, which also serve double duty as being the rays of yellow through the blue. And then, um, the last one. So you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce that. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, Weiji. Yeah, that's right. Weiji. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Weiji, that one means not yet fording. And that means there's never a final conclusion and things are never finished completely they're always ever evolving oh that's great just perfect for the meaning of this card it's just always changing that is perfect that is then perfect. we've got the two mountains in the background and mm-hmm. uh, they're another saturn thing the mm-hmm. idea of the goat climbing the mountain yet they're also a symbol of malkut so the uh the realm of earth that we're in right and uh it's it, again. It brings in that solstice, you know, the eternal cycle, the the nadir in the midheaven, the cycle of the sun being at either a high point or a low point, and the idea that in life we're always climbing and and always having life's ups and downs, and it's kind of it's kind of like a symbol of both achievement and mystery because what's on the other side of the mountain? You climb and climb and climb, and you get there, and uh, what do you see on the other side? Is the <laughs> other side of the mountain? Yeah, it, it makes me think of that. So- see, one of the when I get this card, sometimes it, it it's not always a straightforward meeting because sometimes it makes me think of that song. That children's song, the bear went over the mountain. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bear went over the mountain, and all that he could see was the other side of the mountain when he gets there. And exactly. That's the whole song. He went you know? to, to see what he could see, and all yeah, he could see was and, the and, other side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah. To, and to see what he could see brings in the, the eye, you know, the devil card, the yeah. eye, Capricorn, the idea of seeing, as well as the idea of climbing. So I often mm-hmm. think of that song, the bear went over the mountain to see what he could see. And all that he could <laughs> see was the other side of the mountain. That's, that's like the awesome. lyrics to the song. But when I get that card and this card and think of that, sometimes it almost points to like this more existential meaning of the song about the kind of absurdity of material striving. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the bear turns around to go back and he does the same journey all over again. Does it all over <laughs> again, right. Yeah. Right. Oh, who sings the song, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Oh, shoot. Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? 
goodbye. Because, 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 because. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that one. I think it's Arlo Guthrie. I'm not sure. Anyway. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> that it's like you go to see the reason and then it's just because. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because it can be no other way. So there's the force that propels you to find out and then the the answer being simply that because that's the way it is and it can't be otherwise. <laughs> yeah. That's a Jupiter-Saturn thing right there. Definitely. They're both different. Opposites are always different sides of the same coin, you know? Yeah. Jupiter and Saturn are very like that. And I like the way you have sort of a little bit of a a halo or aura around the mountains, you know, sort of like because it's the whole point is to go looking. <laughs> yeah. They call you. Yeah. And yet indeed. when you get there, what do you see? Just the other side of the mountain. <laughs> and you do it again. Yeah. There's another one. <laughs> yeah. That is fantastic. Gosh. So did you did you enjoy making this card? Is I did, it something actually. that you're fond of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. had I had yeah. fun painting this one and reflecting on the meanings of the colors and it all really came together really well. I was happy with it. Yeah, I really like this one a lot too. So is it something that you see a lot yourself? I do actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. I do get this one fairly often. Sometimes, like I said, you, 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 I get it, and I see that absurdity of striving. Or mm-hmm. sometimes it just seems like you know, you get you, say you're say you're looking for an answer on something material, and you get this. I'm never quite sure how to feel about it, you know? Right. Because on the one hand, it's oh good, it's a it's a it's a coins card, it's a material card, it's a beginning, and it's good. But then there's right. that whole, I don't know, I kind of see it as the easy come, easy go card. Like yeah. you get a little something and then it's just as easy, it just as soon go, goes away, you know, it, or, or, yeah. or I sometimes see it as small change. Yeah, you get something, but it's nothing that big, you know, and it's like, okay, whatever, good enough, you know. Right. Yeah. So I was talking to Austin last week, we had a kind of a long conversation where he was talking to me about like how he doesn't really like the association of Jupiter with the wheel of fortune because it's too easy come easy go like that it's you know ups and downs as being integral to one another and he said that he likes to think of Jupiter as an ascending spiral you know as Mm. kind of making things better but I think that this this card with Jupiter and fall really does encapsulate that part of the wheel of change the up and down nature of it you know, the come and go nature of it. And I'm at peace with that, (laughs) you know, as a person like you who has a strong connection to the wheel, you know, I believe that being able to embrace those whatever comes is an art and a skill of its own. And that, you know, no matter what happens, the benefic side of Jupiter is that you try and make the best out of it, no matter what. Mm. You always try to do your best with it. And there's a good response to whatever it is that comes your way. I get this card a fair amount as well. And it is a card that really is a a busy card for me, you know, just like being on the road, driving a lot. And it's also very much a card of messages, packages, gift exchange, letter exchange across long distances. That's always been part of it for me. And I never really had much validation of that till seeing the Atea meanings, um, which Wait picked up, but uh, but it really does seem to work out that way for me. 
uh, communication across a distance. And then, of course, there was yesterday, which was probably the weirdest manifestation of two of discs ever. I got two of discs in the chariot. So as you can imagine, I was literally in the car all day doing one thing or another. And the last thing that I had to do before, well, one of the last things I had to do before coming home was to pick up my daughter from uh, her cross-country things. So normally I just sit in the car and she jumps in the car and we go. But today there was like a whole lot of food there, you know, because they are starving. It's hilarious. It's like time-lapse photography when you see all these runners eating this enormous spread of food. So I got out to get her and I was, you know, thinking about several other things and I stepped off a curb and twisted my ankle. That seemed really, you know, not my favorite manifestation of the two of discs or pentacles, but also really apt because it was like I had my mind on something else. I was juggling. Yeah, that instability too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought that I was just going sort of on a straight surface and I was actually on a curved surface. And what's really funny is that that card in, um, I was using the Brady Tarot, which just came in, which is absolutely gorgeous. It does have sort of that cyclical quality about it. Um, it does have uh, that graphically represented. And the lower half of it shows sort of um, a tunnel in the earth, a circular, semicircular tunnel in the earth where a family of rabbits is living. Above ground, a fox is eating a rabbit. And then on the right side of the card, a rabbit is diving into the hole uh, where the rest of the family is for safety. And that picture of the rabbit diving into the hole sort of head first with the legs up in the air on the edge was exactly what happened to me. You know, sort of like I went, you know, tumbling head first. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's incredibly literal and quite painful. <laughs> mm. So, but that just goes to show you that the the meaning of these cards is well, at least uh, will continue to surprise you. You didn't hit your head or something. Yeah, exactly. I you know, it was uh I'm I'm doing okay. It's not a big deal. It was it was a weak blow. So, so that's now something that's part of my interpretation. And you know, and it seemed really appropriate to me also because Saturn is, you know, r- the ruler of this deck and Saturn is a huge malefic for me personally, not only as the greater malefic and, you know, being in the night chart, but According to a number of other factors, Saturn is a great big problem for me. <laughs> so that seemed appropriate as the Lord of Capricorn, which rules mm. uh, this decan. So shall we try to sum this up, this great big oh, card? Sure. All right. So we talked lots and lots about the qualities of change and the Lord of Change, the two of pentacles or discs. We talked about its engagement with the material world and the contrast of Saturn versus Jupiter. We talked about Capricorn, the goatfish, and uh, Pan taken by surprise by Typhon and Jupiter getting hamstringed. And, and the intervention of Mercury. Pan and Mercury. The season of Yule and the winter or summer solstice, the changing of the light and the increase or decrease. We talked about Janus Two-Face and Janus Pater. We talked about Jupiter in fall, the weak forces of change. We talked about Deneb al-Jede, the star meaning tale of the goat and its meanings of sorrow and happiness and gain and loss. We talked about the wheel of fortune and the devil, the lord of the gates of matter and his casino of luck and his piston engines. We talked about the crocodile and we talked about the god Ea, he of great intellect, lord of the sacred eye. We talked about Odin and we talked about 
Baldur. We talked about the uh, zenith and the nadir, Capricorn representing both simultaneously in a way. We talked about the hoopoe bird with his crest and the flexibility of the reed, as well as images of decapitation and incarnation and meat suits. (laughs) (laughs) They're made out of meat. We talked about the green line that wraps around the universe, the chaos serpent. The Ouroboros eating its own tail, the crowned serpent. We talked about the uh, priapic or hermat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The hermat, the crossroads. The uh, vision of false mercury. Oh, and the, uh, the stage cards of the twos. The yin and the yang. The gaze of the other, how it might inflect through different suits as Hakma. Talked about fullness and emptiness, the hourglass as a symbol of time. We talked about gifts and messages across a distance and travel as well and ships across the sea. The forces of expansion and contraction. You know, something I also associate with this card is tying my shoelaces. <laughs> Because it kind of looks like shoelaces, but also because it's constriction of the feet in order to go. (laughs) Dextro and Levo rotatory forces, the chirality of light. And the first and last trigrams of the I Ching. The goat climbing and the bear climbing over the mountain to see what he could see. And all that he could see was the other side of the mountain. That's so great. I think that's a good place to close it off. All right. So thank you for embarking on this journey of change with us with the two of discs or pentacles. And we will be back in a productive fashion next week with the Lord of work, the three of discs or pentacles.